Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and Mary McDougall, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle. The Investors Chronicle Portfolio Clinic is a feature which involves readers sending in their financial and investment details for financial experts to comment on. But we can't run this unless you take part. So what better way to while away the hours in lockdown than to feature in the portfolio clinic and maybe get on top of your personal finances? If you want to take part, you can find the form that you need to fill in on the portfolio clinic section of the website or email portfolio.clinic at ft.com or me, leonora.walters at ft.com. We're in a bleak situation, both from a general and economic perspective. But one small positive, at least from an investment perspective, is that indices are well off their recent highs, meaning that it might be a good moment to invest in a number of assets. Dave, you've been looking at this. How cheaper have things become? Hi, Leonora. So, yeah, as you'd expect, uh, given how severe this sell-off has been, funds and investment trusts um, have not managed to get away from this unscathed. We ran some performance data for the first quarter of this year, and in the open-ended fund space, um, around 93% of funds made a loss uh, with a similar outcome for investment trust share prices. Some names um, have grown really very cheap. Uh, So nearly 1,100 open-ended funds uh, were down by at least 20%. And nearly 300 investment trust share prices, again, were down by at least 20%. But obviously, um, some of these investments will have fallen for a reason. So if you're now thinking of looking for bargains, then uh, you need to watch out for value trap um, and basically be aware of something that's fallen for a good reason. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, all sorts of funds. Um, Are any particular types of funds a good way to go bargain hunting? Yeah, I I think it's worth looking at investment trusts just because their shares can be particularly volatile when markets get rocky. Particularly, I would say investment trusts um, that focus on areas that are uncorrelated to equity markets, that may be a good place to look. One of these areas that really stands out at the minute is infrastructure. Um, we're talking about both generalist infrastructure funds and also those that focus on uh, sort of renewable projects. Infrastructure trusts often have very resilient revenues because of the kind of assets they invest in. And sometimes they even have government backing, which is, um, I suppose, another level of security. If you look at infrastructure trust shares, even last year, they were trading on huge premiums, sometimes around 20% premiums to their underlying value of assets. These premiums have now reduced significantly. It's also worth thinking about the fact that many of them pay an attractive yield. There's an argument that now we're seeing equity dividends being slashed around the world. These trusts should see another wave of demand from investors. Um, And if you were buying in now, you may well see a good uplift to the share price later on. What would be an example of uh, a good infrastructure investment trust that uh, looks well-priced? So there are many good examples. One that stands out is uh, JLEN Environmental Assets Group. Um, So that's in the sort of renewable camp. It's very well diversified and it should simply be able to withstand some of the economic problems that we're seeing at the minute. Um, Also on the income point, um, its shares sit on a yield of about 5.8% at the minute. 
So again, it should hopefully benefit from that uplift. Okay. Now, do uh, any other types of investment trusts look like they might be bargains? Yeah. Again, we come back to the point that not everything is a bargain, um, even if it does offer income. Um, So obviously last week we talked about um, the fact that some UK equity income trusts and some other equity trusts um, should be good for income investors because they can protect their dividends using their revenue reserves. That's great if you need the income now, but some specialists believe that um, these traits are already priced into those trusts' shares. In that case, you might not see the uplift that you could expect elsewhere. Where else could you turn to for income at the moment? Yeah, a few people have been um, talking about bonds and actually talking about the high yield bond space. So that's the kind of riskier level of debt. That may be attractive if you're kind of looking at it very carefully. Some of the high yield bonds are now on double digit yields because of the recent volatility. You know, that's affected them as well as everything else. But some of these names won't default on their debts and they should get through the crisis okay. So it's an area to consider. Um, you may also see that income uplift. But because it's very high risk, you need to access it via a fund manager who's going to be quite prudent and quite diligent in what they select. Okay, so um, what would be a good way to invest in high yield bonds? There's two main routes, I would say. So you could go for a dedicated high yield fund. So that's going to be um, probably higher risk, but also potentially higher reward. One name we've looked at is Hermes Global High Yield Credits. That's run by Fraser Lundy. He's a very experienced bond manager with a good reputation. Another route, though, that you could go down is to pick a strategic bond fund. So many of these names will focus on the high yield sector. But because strategic bond funds can invest anywhere in the bond universe, they can also go for more defensive bond holdings as well. And they can kind of offset the risks that they're taking. One example would be Investec Global Total Return Credits, um, but there are many options there. Dave, you've mentioned infrastructure and you've mentioned bonds, but notably you haven't (laughs) said anything about equities. So are there any bargains to be had with uh, equity funds? Yeah, it's it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. So this week we've we've even seen a bit of a rally in equity markets, but um, I think many people are still really wary of this and it could be an area that still remains volatile for some time. So if you're going to look at equity funds, again, it would be good to look at something that potentially has been hit harder than it seems it should be if you look at its fundamental merits. One area we've been looking at is in the UK, but not just the UK generally. We're talking about kind of smaller companies. The UK market overall has struggled um, and struggled a lot more than other markets. But smaller mid-cap companies have been hit harder than large-cap names. So it may well be good going down the market cap scale. One fund we've been looking at um, takes a bit of a value um, approach. So it looks at things that um, seem to have been um, hit harder by the markets than um, their kind of fundamentals suggest they should be. So a fund we've looked at is Tviet UK Smaller Companies. Do any areas of overseas equities offer bargains? 
Again, uh, yes, and it might be worth just kind of tilting slightly into the value style to, um, you know, look at some really beaten up names. So one market where it may be good to do that is Japan. Um, and a very highly regarded value fund there is ManGLG Japan Core Alpha. Okay, thank you, Dave. And see this week's big theme in the fund section for Dave's full list of investment trusts and funds to buy in the cheap. And one fund you probably wouldn't consider a bargain, despite it often trading at a double-digit discount to net asset value over the past two years, is Perpetual Income and Growth Investment Trust. But a major change has recently been announced at this trust, and this could have a significant effect on its fortunes going forward. Dave, you've been looking at these developments. So what's happened? Yeah, so big news this week. Um, the board of the trust has decided to sack Mark Barnett, um, the Invesco manager who's worked on the portfolio since 1999. Um, when they were explaining their reasoning, they referred to what they called an extended period of underperformance um, versus the FTSE All Share, which is the trust's benchmark. And um, if you look at both its NAV returns and its share price, um, it has lagged the index since 2016. Okay, so who's going to run the trust now? Yeah, we don't know for now. Um, so the board um, is currently using the services of Mercer, which is a consultancy, to help find them a new manager. They want someone who can deliver capital growth and real growth in dividend payments in the medium to longer term. Mark runs a number of other funds. So what's been the situation of them? Yeah, so I guess his best-known funds are um, open-ended funds, the Invesco Income Fund and the Invesco High Income Fund. Um, they, again, have really struggled in the last few years um, in terms of performance. And also in recent weeks, um, we've seen some more interesting news there. We've basically seen Invesco have the unquoted holdings in those two funds revalued. And they essentially, they've taken a 60% write-down to their value. Okay, thank you, Dave. And see the website for his reports on the situation with uh, Mark Barnett's other funds. A consequence of the social distancing measures due to the coronavirus outbreak has been that investors cannot attend annual general meetings, AGMs, of the companies they hold shares in. However, although some companies, such as Domino's Pizza, have postponed their AGMs, other companies have found a way to enable theirs to go ahead. Mary, what are they doing? Hi, Leonora. Yes, so there's quite a scramble among companies to set up remote access to their AGMs at the moment, which is a measure that many companies have historically deliberately avoided. Under the government's new stay-at-home guidelines, shareholders are banned from attending AGMs in person. Postponing AGMs may be a preferable option, but there are a number of reasons why companies can't. One is that they have a legal requirement to hold them within six months of their financial year end. So lots of companies have their financial year end at the end of December, which is why the majority of AGMs are held in April, May, early June. Um, and it would seem irresponsible to be planning a gathering for June currently. So companies are looking for alternative ways to make sure they can go ahead. This is generally done by setting up webinars and phone lines so shareholders can dial in from home. But awkwardly, many companies are prohibited from holding virtual-only AGMs because they've been ruled out in the company's own Articles of Association, which is the constitution by which a, a company governs itself. This is very common, as generally it's been thought that virtual-only AGMs would be detrimental to board accountability. 
So, for example, the Investment Association issued a position statement on the topic a few years ago saying it was not a measure they would support. So what we're seeing is most companies changing the address of where they hold their AGMs. So you just have two company directors physically present and other people can call in. So investors must know that just because the address has changed, it doesn't mean they can attend the meeting. Okay, so no free sandwiches, but at least you get to hear what's going on with your company. What would be an example of a a company that's doing this? Well, companies are doing it in slightly different ways. ITV has its AGM on the 24th of April, and they're setting up a live stream of the AGM on their website and invite people to send in any questions they have for the board in advance. The live stream will be for information only, and people will not be able to ask questions during the course of the meeting, so they have to send them in advance. And the same with voting. House builder Taylor Wimpy has its AGM on the 23rd of April. They're providing telephone dial-in for the meeting and they will allow shareholders to ask directors questions over the phone. Um, Most companies have put out notes saying they will reduce the length of their meeting so it only covers formal business required. Okay, Um, I mean these sound um, good solutions really. Um, I mean, do you know, will many other companies do this? Yes, most companies will go for this hybrid approach where they have a physical presence for the AGM, but the shareholders are not allowed to attend in person um, and facilitate some sort of remote access as um, Taylor Wimpy and ITV. Okay. Um, they'll, ask, they'll ask people to send in votes via proxy. So usually you can either send in your votes in advance or you can vote at the AGM, but now you're only going to be able to issue your votes in advance and usually at least four days before the AGM. So investors must note to send in these instructions. And you can, if you invest via a platform, you should send in your votes via the platform. Okay, thank you, Mary. And you can see her full report on how to continue holding the companies you invest into account in this week's magazine or the website. That brings us to the end of today's show. But see Investors Chronicle or the website at investorschronicle.co.uk for more potential investment bargains major changes at funds, and how to exercise your shareholder rights. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and have a good bank holiday weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.